Blog Talk Radio.
divine, all blessed, peace and love, joy and prosperity, revelation and manifestation. You are now listening live and always in archive at your leisure and convenience to the divine prince, an African spiritualist, practitioner, author, and advisor, Hudu Obeya Bokur. And today I will be joined for the very first time by the Queen Kalinda Laveau, New Orleans voodoo queen and practitioner. And we will be bringing forward a show entitled The Revolutionary Marie Laveau. Some of us think we know Marie Laveau. Some of us truly understand Marie Laveau. I'm still getting questions as to whether Marie Laveau was actually a real person. So we need to clarify and organize our understanding of who this great matriarch of our spiritual lineage, and for some of us, genetic lineage is, and we're going to bring that to you today here on Block Talk Radio in a very powerful and new way. But as always, I will be sharing with you in all things, spiritual, mystical, metaphysical, cosmic, universal, evolutionary, revolutionary, healing, and holistic from a Pan-African hoodoo world spiritualist perspective, understanding that all is indeed a blessing. You can just see beyond the veil, for it is all just an illusion and a test one of the greatest divine mysteries of this life cycle. This is my constant prayer, my mantra, affirmation, reverberation, reiteration, and my ever-living reality. And it is crucial to the very foundation of my understanding, my teaching, my walk, and my work along this divine, all-blessed life path and journey. It is how I, Divine Prince, make sense out of all that we are challenged with here in our daily existence on Mother Father Earth. And it is my personal place of power and understanding. The place from where I begin and the place from where I realize and crystallize all endeavors, understanding that I and I alone create and co-create my divine destiny, and I and I alone create and co-create my divine, all-blessed reality. And so it is, I say. Today is August 19, 2013, Monday, August 19, 2013, and I am emanating and vibrating with you and for you live, virtually, verbally, cosmically, quantum, universally from this working temple of the house of the divine prince, Kaya Hoodoo Central in this legendary, historic, beautiful, and enchanted city of New Orleans, Louisiana, the land of my ancestors, and those who came before me along this spiritualist hoodoo obey a life path and journey, passing down the great obiastic, along with the knowledge of the healing, life-giving herbs, roots, plants, rituals, and minerals. I appreciate each and every one of you who continue to join me here at high noon U.S. Central Standard Time in this square circle of gods and goddesses 
whether it be live or in archive. We appreciate each and every one of you. But today we are live. Our live listening and call-in number is area code 347 Momentarily, I will introduce my newest co-host. And also, I might add a godchild of Voodoo Priestess Ava K. Jones. We have both studied under Voodoo Priestess Ava K. Jones as one of our progenitors, if you will, of the spiritual lineage that is New Orleans Voodoo. And we're going to cover quite a bit, as much as we can in today's show. Um, There will probably be a spillover into other shows, and Colinda LeBeau has committed to being here and to assisting me in presenting this revolutionary picture of Marie LeBeau. Marie LeBeau and her image, as many of you know, has been used, abused, maligned, manipulated for commercial benefit, um, and all sorts of other um, cartoonish, to say the least, manners. Indeed, Marie Laveau is a real person. She was born September 10, 1794, a free woman of color here in this place that we know as New Orleans, Louisiana. There's a great deal of information that can be found about Marie Laveau by way of Wikipedia. Um, if you wish, you can Google her name uh, with the spelling L-A-B as in Victor, E-A-U, and one of those links, probably one of the more predominant links is um, the Wikipedia explanation of who Marie Laveau is. And, again, I want to reiterate, the stories, the fictional books, the novels, um, and even to some degree um, the movie caricatures that have been sort of loosely built around who Marie Laveau is don't truly pay homage, in my opinion, and and you will soon find in my co-host's opinion as to who this truly revolutionary woman is. And and, and a part of understanding Marie Laveau's story, it is critical that we understand the story of Louisiana and, and the story of the South and the environment for which she was born into, grew up in, developed her ministry within, and has survived history, has survived time in the way that many of our politicians have it, in the way that many of our educators have it. Um, indeed, they all have their place in history, uh, but, but it would be erroneous to sort of deny her place in terms of, of, of attraction and interest as a part of the, the, the full totality of, of this great city that is 
New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, and along with that, there is the misinformation as it relates to the religion and, and to the practice um, and to her being a devout Catholic. And, and, and Colinda and I want to explore uh, as much as we can to the best of our ability all of those uh, uh, faces and personalities, if you will, of Marie Laveau. When we start researching and looking even in terms of documentation, beyond folklore, beyond people's, you know, interpretation of who she was, um, and archaeologists want to look for, when that's available, documentation or physical items, uh, pottery, clothing, uh, bones, things that relate to a, a particular story, a particular person, a particular culture, a particular practice, a particular people. So in approaching Marie Laveau, but also voodoo in the Deep South, in this particular time period, you have to understand the history. You have to understand the black code. You have to understand what we could and could not do, not just because it was frowned upon or it was not approved of or somebody might have been upset about it, but because we would have lost our lives if certain aspects of who we were, our religious belief, and our practice were manifest um, outwardly, publicly. So let's be careful when we look at Marie Laveau and, and identify her um, as being born a free woman of color, we have to also understand that there were many around her at that time who were not free. And this still greatly affected her life and how she and other free people of color would have had to operate under this system. And when we look at New Orleans and Louisiana specifically, we can do a hundred shows. You know, we can look at the Indian culture, which was bred out of this oppressive nature. We can look at the, the Creole codes and Creole culture, um, the octoroons and the maroons and, and, and the quadroons and, and how those titles, those uh, characteristics, those stories also intersect with this. So it's a lot, and, and we're going to try and, and pace ourselves, if you will. So, and, and also, we don't necessarily want to reiterate what is easy to be found, what most people already know. We want to really get down to some of the more hidden truths about Marie Laveau. And in my opinion, there's no stronger personage of her than her revolutionary personage. At the threat of harming herself and her family and becoming and doing who she was and what she did in that time period uh, and to have it last into our now modern lives and existence for indeed true adherence of New Orleans voodoo acknowledge Marie Laveau. 
she's a great deal of, of what we do and who we are. Uh, she's a big portion, for, for many of you who don't know, as to why I'm even here, how I even came to relocate here to this part of the South. Um, I felt and heard the call of Marie Laveau to rebuild the present of New Orleans voodoo to its rightful place. New Orleans voodoo is sort of looked at as the bastard child. Would you agree with that, Kalinda? Definitely. When we look at... Who, when we look at, you know, Lacomi, Santeria, Haitian voodoo, and many people try and legitimize, maybe innocently, but try and legitimize New Orleans voodoo through Haiti. But yes. the truth is it existed long before Haiti, long before Marie Laveau got here. Right. So I want to bring you right. into the conversation, um, allow you to introduce yourself to our audience. And, and quickly, I want to invite you to dial in at 347-215-8967. This is the show to get your questions, comments, and requests in. And, and I see you. We have many people in chat. We have many people already on the phone lines. And, and we welcome you to the show and to this particular topic. And we do invite you to get your calls in with us now at 347 Two one five eight nine six seven. So I'm going to now turn the mic over to Kalinda and allow her to introduce herself and her connection uh, to Marie Laveau as we move into this powerful topic of revolutionary Marie Laveau. Okay. Uh, well, I'm Kalinda Laveau, also known as Lady Laveau. Uh, I'm also a New Orleans voodoo queen specializing in voodoo and hoodoo. And uh, right now I have to say the spirit is really high, and I'm very excited about this show. I'm excited about this topic, and I feel like this is probably going to spin off into more shows. I don't think this is something that can really be covered in just one show. Uh, For me, my connection with Marie Laveau is ancestral. Um, I, I am directly Related to Marie Laveau I am directly um, I'm I'm of direct lineage As far as Voodoo is concerned So one thing I want to do is uh, Start to talk about The common misconceptions And how those misconceptions came about What some of them are Um, For one thing uh, We have a lot of this is this is not an uncommon thing whenever you're dealing with an ancestor that's rising to lower status or sainthood. What happens whenever a person gets to that point, a lot of times the true details of what happened in their real life and the real events and sometimes uh even the real personality becomes diminished and falls to the background and a generalized Myth comes to the front And then that person Becomes a patron Of certain You know uh, ideas Or certain things So when looking at Marie Laveau We have Books written about her We have movies We have movies that have Taken her persona Even if they've you know Put it in the form of another person 
we have these stories that are remembered by the actual people, the local people of New Orleans and the local people of Louisiana. And we also have the tourist industry, mainly, you know, the tour guides who take people to St. Louis Cemetery, number one, and their stories. Um, The thing is, there's not necessarily anything wrong with myths, but we have to learn to keep myth in its proper place. We we have to know when we're dealing with myth and when we're dealing with reality and when we're dealing with spirit. Certain things can be found out through divination. Certain things can be found out through dreams. Um, a lot of times with the tour guides, they tend to discredit Marie Laveau and they tend to discredit voodoo. Um, some of the common phrases that I hear is them saying that she had no actual power. She was simply a hairdresser who was privy to information that other people were not. You know, having um, basically like a, a a window into the lives of, you know, important people, wealthy people, uh, government officials, being in their houses, uh, dressing a lady's hair. She was privy to certain conversations and certain information. So they kind of say that her power was really just because she knew everybody's business and she could use it against them. No. Mm-hmm. That may be, I'm not saying that that wasn't a tool. I mean, of course, anybody, if, you, if, you, if you're able to receive some information, you're going to use it, but her power extended office, much beyond that. Hmm? Yeah, if you work in the office. You tend to know at least some level of personal information about your coworkers. That's right. You know that but, that same environment exists in the barber shop. That's right. Which we sort of give a a sort of sacred status within our community. You know, for men. So so mm-hmm. that same level of of uh, environment, that type of existence would have been present in the beauty salons, and I dare say to a greater degree. Mhm. That's right. And and the thing is, you know, it's one thing to know information, it's another thing to affect change. As you often state, voodoo and hoodoo gets results. So, it's a difference between and and there 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 is historical documentation that we can go back to um such as vital records, court records, um, newspaper articles done at, in that time what was called the Daily Picayune. Um, and just even thinking about the fact that this is a woman of color in the newspaper or just the fact that this is a woman of color that's still being remembered today. And, and, and this is from a time where uh, people of color, whether they be Creole, Jean de Couleur, Libra, free people of color, or whether they be enslaved Africans, uh, they were not remembered in this way largely. They were not given respect. They were not given honor. They were not given notoriety in this way. And this was also a time when you didn't necessarily hear very much about women in general, not just speaking of women of color, but white women as well. So Mm -hmm. we're talking about the 1800s, a woman of color that is still remembered above most people in the city today. She is one of the most famous figures of this city and probably one of the first names mentioned. And this was in the 1800s. This is 2013. So that should let anybody who's asking know that there's some power somewhere. 
you don't get that by combing hair and listening to secrets. Mm-hmm. That's what makes mm-hmm. it present. You know, so... Um, if you will, I'm sorry, if you will, let me help you to sort of put that into context. Mm-hmm. Now, the city of New Orleans, the state of Louisiana, have one of the largest free populations of people of African descent in the United States at that time. Most slaves were emancipated during the Spanish colonial period of Louisiana, between 1769 and 1803. And the and that's right around Marie's death date. So, so remember these dates. You've got to put the history and the dates together to really understand the environment in the context in which we're talking about. So most people of color at that time were still enslaved or, or, or being treated as such. And, and the early years of the American tutorial uh, period, 1803 to 1812, and many of those free persons of color, if you will, are not as recorded or well-known as those who were emancipated during the uh, Spanish colonial period. So during the Spanish mm-hmm. colonial period, slaves could buy their freedom, be loaned for money to purchase their freedom, have their freedom purchased by a relative or a friend, or be given their own freedom. And, and, and I found documentation that suggests that Marie Laveau may have at some point freed members of her own family by purchasing them if not outright had slaves of her own. And and Kalinda Mm -hmm. and I touched on this in a personal conversation the other day, um, how, you know, the the enslavement of other blacks uh, has a strong negative connotation to it. The the, 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 uh, enslavement of, of Africans by Africans has a strong negative connotation to it, so much so that we often sort of overlook the fact that once you are forced into the system, for many, the only emancipation at that time would have been to have been purchased, the blessing would have been to have been purchased by somebody in your family. So, mm-hmm. so, so in terms of uh, revolutionary, Marie, I, I think it's important to look at that, to look at the time that we're talking about, and then we also have to look at the development of New Orleans. Uh, I've been going deeper into uh, the history of of Congo Square, uh, traditional African spirituality here in the city, um, the the history of some of our first black churches here in the city, like St. Augustine, which is probably the closest church to Congo Square, um, I I believe. Um, You know, uh, one of the closest original churches to Congo Square of that time period. And we know that St. Augustine wasn't built until 1841. And Marie Laveau, uh, according to the New York Times article that was posted one week after her death, um, died in, in 1881. And as we just explored in terms of emancipation, um, a great deal of our people didn't get their emancipation until 1803, 1812. 
So as Kalinda suggested, what we're talking about a very tense environment to live in, operate in, thrive in, and succeed in. And 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 even down to her resources, what she did, how she did it. I think we have to be very careful about the source of that information and and why that source would have their slant or their their interpretation of what was going on. Um, because we have to, to separate some of her practices in terms of, of authentic voodoo and what she would have done on the bayou amongst her people, uh, separated from, from the main culture versus what she may have done that would have been widely known in the white community or, or in the in the quarters proper or, or in, in the mainstream society. Because, again, certain things could have tarnished her reputation, could have brought disdain on the greater community, could have revealed other participants in certain ceremonies. And one of those uh, rituals, if I could just pull out one, is the dancing nude on the bayou. Um, Mm -hmm. And and Linda can speak to that as a, a professional licensed, tour guide here in the city um, mm-hmm. in terms of how the story is sort of told, um, manipulated, played with, toyed with. Uh, some people say it never happened and, and it's just a, a, a prop. Um, I find that the further you go back in time in terms of documentation, the more you see it. But as you come forward, the less you see it. And, and there may have been some motivation behind that. So so we want to talk about her ritual, what she did, the deity she would have called on. And, and, uh, and of course, we have to talk about the snake dance. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, for one thing, much of the information, the early information that people have based movies on, um, the whole spill that they give uh, as tour guides, much of the story of what people have known about her up until recently came from this book called The Voodoo Queen by Robert Salant. And in that book, it's it's a fictional story that's kind of told as if it was biographical. He took a few facts that he may have been able to prove, and he created a story around it. And that was pretty much the text that everybody referred to uh, including the movie The Widow Paris by Stephen Hank. Uh, that's the text that everybody pretty much referred to to get any information on Marie Laveau. But mm-hmm. the real Marie Laveau, you have what you know, you have what you can find officially, you know, within documentation and you also have the stories of the people and the stories of family. So looking at Marie Laveau, you have to really take a good look at voodoo and what voodoo is all about and what voodoo does. Um, you have to take into account that particular region, that particular time. You have to take into account the history, the influences of that time. So one thing we know for sure, things were not peaches and cream for people of African descent. And even though a lot of times uh, you'll find writers giving the opinion that, oh, New Orleans was a lot more liberal than every other place, and perhaps it was more liberal, but that still doesn't mean this was happy times we're talking about here. 
So mm-hmm. we do know that voodoo, in order for a, a, a religion or a practice or a spirituality to sustain itself during a tense time, it has to be able to answer the demands of the people. So we know that free people of color, as well as enslaved Africans, were not given equal rights to whites at that time. We know that people were still being unfairly lynched. We know that people were still um, given unfair prison sentences and unfair executions. We know that it wasn't necessarily an easy plight to own property, to own businesses. And let's not forget medicine, because much of what a lot of people don't realize about voodoo, whether you're talking about the voodoo queens, voodoo kings, root doctors, the creole traitors, that was the medicine, that was the healing. A lot of people didn't necessarily have access to uh, doctors or money for doctors. And then sometimes whenever it was out of the doctor's hands, you had black and white people going to these practitioners for healing. So this couldn't exist unless it answered the needs of the people. So a lot of times we think about Grigory Bags for Love and things like that, but it had to address the hardships that people of color were facing at the time. And this can be reflected in New Orleans through the New Orleans Mysteries. We had uh, Young Zhu, we had Marionette, we had Black Hawk, we had John Petro, we had LeGrand Zombie just to name a few, when you look to Haiti, because you can kind of take all of these these traditions, where you, whether you're talking about New Orleans, talking about Haiti, you're talking about somewhere else in uh, Latin America or somewhere else in the Caribbean, uh, Martinique, uh, Puerto Rico, Cuba, Brazil. Um, there, There's always warrior spirits. There are always resolu- revolutionary deities. In Haiti, you have uh, Erzili Danto, Erzili Giroud, Ogula Flambo. These are who; these are the spirits that the people were petitioning at that time. You know, it's it's really nice to be able to have love or you know um, influence another person in your circle, but it's much nicer to have your freedom and to have economic stability. So that was the main focus: survival. So mm-hmm. that a lot of times is what these rituals, whether it be personal work that she did for individual people or whether, it, you know, whether it was community rituals where people would come to for insight or come to for healing or come to for help in some sort, whether she gave them an ocular message or whether she gave them a Grigory bag or, you know, something to take home with them. This mostly mm-hmm. had to do with addressing, you know, the issues. We are not as free as we should be. We are not where we should be economically. We need to be healed. We need to be helped. We need rights. We need freedom. So that's that's what this is about. And you can also see that uh, there's a movie, this is not about New Orleans necessarily, but there's a movie called Sankofa that shows you yeah. that revolution, rebellion, and voodoo go hand in hand. Yes, indeed, and and we do have um, another uh, co-host on the line. One of my other practitioner godchildren, Avarisha, is also with us. We want to allow her to come on in and give her peace and blessings. And if you have any questions or comments, to step forward with us. Peace and blessings, Avarisha. Are you able to? Yeah, I can hear you. You're breaking up just a little bit, though. Okay. Can you... Yeah, you're still you're still breaking up. 
Okay. Can you hear me better? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, great. Peace and blessings. Peace. Okay. Yeah, it is a bit of a um, shaking storm out for some reason. I think it's because um, I have a lot of windows open. Um, what I wanted to say was that a lot of the information that you're um, giving us right now is resonating with the knowledge that I've received through study, personal study. Mm-hmm. One of the stories, uh, one of the stories that comes to mind is uh, by Mama Zogby, um, Sybils, uh, the, mm-hmm. the uh, prophetess of Mamawata, and yes. how also, also, uh, King James also wrote a book. Um, I think it was called Demonology, where he mm-hmm. spoke of you know his outwardness um, and and discussed with witches. And um, that's what they called them in those days, and, and pretty much sipping witchcraft and everything, you know, that um, Ifa and who represents, um, he was against. So this is also a person that gave us a Bible. Mm-hmm. So I can pretty much, you know, relate to, um, you know, to um, Marie Laveau and her secretness. Um, her techniques, um, keeping those things secret because those things are sacred to those who actually own them. And um, and not just that, the heritage belongs to the people. So mm-hmm. I understand, I, I pretty much understand how um, all of this information the put out to seem as if it was, because I I just read the story last night that was printed in the newspaper when she had passed away. I read Mm -hmm. that on on, uh, my godfather's, right, I read that on my godfather's page. And pretty much, okay, this makes sense. It makes sense that her secrecy, you know, um, was very important of the scrutiny um, because of the ostracism that could have taken place, been able to help other people um, had she had been outwardly open with her her practitioner, with her practice. So mm-hmm. yeah, back to, you know, the prophetess of, of Mamawata. You know, the if anyone has ever done the the work and the and the um audience has ever read the book, um the first prophetess of Mamawata is mm-hmm. uh, you know, there um, with invaders and them being taken out and, and kidnapped and and down and, and murdered, um, men and women, um, you know their practices and and history, their lineage and where they came from, you know all of that is. In book. Um, there's also another book I think it's called Black Magic on the Plant. Um, yeah, I think black it's called Black Magic on the Planet. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're still breaking up. Called... Okay. Can you hear me better? Yeah, but I don't know why, but you, you're you're choppy-like. Okay. All right. Well, I'll try and stay still. Okay, so sure. uh, oh, Black oh, Magic on the um, Plantation. Go yeah, Go ahead. <laughs> Now, I was going to say, or I'm you sorry. can um, try, <laughs> just, 
we still got um, a lot more time. You could also try and hang up and call back or, or close a window or something. Sure. Yeah, I'm going to sure, close but, but, out some of these windows I have up and call right back. Okay. Okay, we'll come right back to you. Thank you for your um, being present with us. Um, and also, no you know, problem. She said, yeah, she said many things, um, Kalina, that clearly mm-hmm. reinforced, you know, the message that we pre-discussed that we wanted to present with this show topic. Um, mm-hmm. They weren't fighting for their liberty. They they were fighting for their very lives. And, and another right. commonly told story, particularly by the tour guides here, uh, from that time period is about Delphine LaLaurie, mm-hmm. who, as you know, uh, tortured and murdered black slaves, uh, apparently down there across from from Jackson Square. Uh, she lived mm-hmm. between 1775 and 1841. St. Augustine was built in 1840. I'm sorry, 1842. St. Augustine was built in 1841. So mm-hmm. these, these powerful events in history all sort of overlap each other. And, and for our mm-hmm. listeners who may not be familiar with this story, uh, Marie Delphine La Larie, more commonly known as Madame La Larie, was a Louisiana-born white socialite and serial killer known for her involvement in the torture and murder of black slaves. Now, just women serial killers is even today still a new concept. You know, we still look at it as being, you know, small in comparison to men. But but, but this went on... Early in our in our history as a country, if you will, uh, and it was quite more common than than people would want to talk about. Born in New Orleans, Lalaurie married three times over the course of her lifetime. She maintained a prominent position in the social circles of New Orleans until April tenth, eighteen thirty four, when rescuers respond responding to a fire at her Royal Street mansion discovered bound slaves within the house who showed evidence of torture over a long period. LaLaurie's house was subsequently sacked by an outraged mob of New Orleans citizens, and it is thought that she fled to Paris, where she is believed to have died. So she was never even, you know, brought up on charges, if you will, um, about these type of crimes. And And what makes this story so you know, pronounce uh, to, to again reiterate what Kalinda just said, we weren't being treated very well anyway. And, and that was the normal, you know, powerful course of the day. So this had to be many levels beyond outrage for even white historians to document this in uh, all of its gore and outrage and for that story to continue to survive and live on, uh, particularly through the tour guides. I've heard many tour guides uh, sort of tell this story, and I believe it's also been um, alluded to in terms of TV. 